you know, we actually then think about how do you amplify that on social? How do you kind of get your influencers, your content creators to come down to capture that and to amplify it? But you need a really good creative line or creative hook for people to want to share that. Um, and, and I think we've always tried to surprise people. So I constantly get messages in my my LinkedIn and in, in my WhatsApp groups where people send me a, you know, a chalk stencil we've done in the middle of the road or in the park somewhere and they're kind of going, oh, wow, Rory, like, how, how did you get away with that? And, you know, my, my answer always is, you know, we, we ask for forgiveness, not permission. We just do things. And, and we, we, we've always just said, you know what, let's just do it. If we get in trouble, we get in trouble, but let's get ourselves out there, get ourselves talked about because there's nothing worse than being beige and just doing what everybody else is doing. I'm Eric Fulweiler, and this is Scratch, bringing you marketing lessons from the leading brands and brains, rewriting the rulebook from scratch for the world of today. Hey, everyone. My guest today is Rory McKenty. He leads marketing at Gymbox. If you're not familiar with Gymbox, they are a very disruptive, provocative, an interesting challenger brand here in the UK. Rory is a seasoned marketing leader. He's built a career across CPG, retail, leisure industries, working with some of the biggest brands and a lot of challenger brands as well, including Patty Power. Um, I love, I mean, the bulk of the conversation, as you'll see, and if you've seen any of the gym box marketing that has been done recently, you know it's about creativity. It's about disruption. It's about quote unquote, going viral and um you know it's just one of those brands where they've been able to do that consistently which i know is something that everybody wants to get to so incredibly innovative incredibly interesting conversation we dig into how particularly when you have constraints around budget you can have an outsized impact so he's got a couple ideas and suggestions for people on that we talk about his dynamic with his ceo and how he's been able to cultivate a relationship where in his words his ceo quote lets him get on with it He's able to do risky and provocative things. And then we also talk about, which I, I think is really fascinating, just, you know, he calls himself, he's like, I'm very, very idea-led. And he even said, like, sometimes he throws away and ignores the data and uh, even says, you know, you really shouldn't listen to the customers all the time, which, of course, is a little bit different and there is some nuance to it. But I think um, the instinct that he's cultivated and how committed he is to these ideas and when he sees it, he knows uh, not always, and he does talk about some of the misses that he's had, but I think that's a really interesting thing for people to think about. And just, at least for me, I walk away from this conversation feeling like I maybe need to push myself a little bit more to be a little bit more uncomfortable and a little bit more aggressive um, with what we can do on the marketing front. So really great conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, please enjoy Rory McKenty of Jimbox. All right, Rory. Really looking forward to this conversation. And it's funny, you know, we, uh, you know, I reached out a while ago and I actually had to go back to my old moleskin, my previous moleskin to look up my notes. So I've been, I've been excited about this conversation for a few months now. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Really good. Thanks for having me on. Cool. So we got a lot to get through. And I told you before we pressed record that I dropped into the AMP community, our, our WhatsApp CMO group that I was chatting to you today, and it kicked off a lot of conversation. So I'm going to have to report back to them. But before we get into it, can you tell us about a challenger brand that you are passionate about right now and why? Oh, wow. A challenger brand. Um, 
No, it's it's funny when when you talk about challenger brand, it seems to be very very on trend and very topical in the last couple of years. I think when I first started out at Paddy Power and Everyman Cinema, I think we were we were challenger brands, but we we didn't feel like we were a challenger brand. It was just a bit of a kind of a rebel mindset that we had. Um, so when I look at challenger brands now, I kind of look for brands that are doing things really differently, either in terms of their creative execution or in terms of their kind of the media. The choice of media for me is a really interesting one. And the brand that I'm really keeping an eye on at the moment is a brand called Surreal, which is a, a protein cereal brand here in the UK. And what I love about Surreal is creatively they do stuff that I haven't seen before. You know, they, they I don't know if you've seen one of their recent campaigns um, where they actually took celebrities from Michael Johnson uh, sorry, Michael Jordan, Dwayne Johnson, Serena Williams, and and did quotes from from those celebrities. But actually, it was you know students in Bournemouth or a cleaner in in London, and I, and I really like that fresh outtake they've done. And I think the the media choices they've done, and I'm sure we're going to come on to it later on. You know, faux out of home or fake out of home is is huge at the moment, and we're seeing a lot a lot of brands in in that space. And they actually kind of yin with everyone else yanged and they did a cardboard billboard, which was dubbed the worst billboard um, ever, which I thought was just really clever. Um, and, and they actually physically got cardboards and they sellotaped them up onto, onto a billboard. So I think any, any brand that surprised me, I, I, I like. And I think as a challenger brand, Surreal are unconventional and fresh, both in their creative and their media. That's what I really look for at the moment. And, and we actually, we worked with them on a, on a bit of a partnership about six months ago. And that was on the back of me seeing what they were doing in the industry because they, I really resonated with their with their brand and their DNA and what they were doing as a, as a business. So if you haven't seen them, re- really worth a look. Um, surreal, uh, cereal, and, and it tastes pretty, pretty damn good too. Nice. Yeah, I haven't tried it. I've seen their marketing because they certainly get talked about as does Jim Box within the marketing circles of brands that are doing interesting, creative, clever, to your point things. And I think uh, we'll come back to it. I don't want to get into it now, but it is interesting because the campaign that they did and, you know, you should go check it out. Um, I think that I think that they ended up I don't know if they had to take it down, but there was kind of like a legal, you know, discussion around that. And there's something here to that. How far do you push the boundary obviously you know when we're going to talk about the fake out of home that's not a legal thing but it is kind of like pushing the boundaries a little bit so there's something to that in terms of the brands that get noticed um and you know kind of i guess how they approach really doing things differently to the point of maybe stepping across a bit of what people would you know say is a line as well yeah, and you know, I think Eric as well. The bit, the bit that I enjoy with with brands who 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 try things differently, that they're clever and that they're able to ride that journey. So whether you know you do get a legal challenge, or uh, again, I'm sure we'll talk about it later on and delve into it. Whether you get a legal challenge or whether there's a bit of social chatter, you ride that wave a little bit and you look to see how you amplify your your message or your 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 PR on the back of that challenge. And I think even with surreal. I think it was on the back of that particular campaign that they actually put out a video with their, you know, le- legal uh, advisor telling them what to do and not to do. So they kind of um, 
elongated the campaign, put it that way, on, on the back of that initial work, which, which again, I think for challenger brands to be able to kind of work fast and, and get maximum exposure from a campaign is clever. Yeah. Love that. All right. So before we get into it, Rory, for people who might not know Jim Box or live outside the UK, uh, can you give us a quick overview on the business? Sure. So Jim Box is a, um, a gym in, in a box. And uh, <laughs> we, we are a London-based brand. We've got nine, nine clubs in London. Um, it was, we're actually in our 20th year. We're celebrating our 20th year anniversary this year. Um, it is mostly known for its really creative classes in the industry. So uh, we do everything what we call from, from holistic to sadistic. So from yoga to boxing uh, and everything in between. And, and the brand is quite a disruptive, irreverent, cheeky brand uh, with, with a, a very distinctive tone of voice. It isn't like any other gym many listeners may have been to in, in that you go in and we have live DJs. It's been designed by nightclub designers. We have, you know, a boxing ring in the middle of the gym. And the class the classes aren't hidden in, into, you know, cubby holes in, in different corners of the gym. It's a very in-your-face brand uh, and environment. Um, it was actually founded by a gentleman called Richard Hilton, who worked for an advertising agency back um, 20 years ago, and he was in New York, and he was working for the likes of Nike, and he saw some fabulous gyms over in, in, in New York and brought them back to the UK. There was nothing, nothing like this in, in, in the UK at the time. And, you know, he was talking about, you know, one day you could have a um, Muhammad Ali's trainer training you. And then there was that element of surprise. And I think um, Gymbox has kind of become that, you know, real experience-led brand. It's, it's quite a unique, um, a unique experience. And, and the marketing kind of really tries to, to amplify that in terms of what we do in the industry. So it, it, it's, quite, it's quite a cool, different gym. We're a look if you haven't seen it. Yeah, and actually that's what I was thinking as you were talking about. I've actually never been to a gym box, so I think I need to change that just to come check it out. Um, but I remember, you know, when I lived in New York, and I don't know if this is where you got the inspiration, but like the David Barton gym and kind of like those types of places. Um, but I think it's interesting because, you know, we had one of our rival roundtables last night, CMO dinner, and a lot of the conversation or a good chunk of the conversation and a big takeaway for me was talking about different brands like Ryanair as an example. And I was like, I think it's a great brand. You know, a lot of people would say it's horrible. It's a terrible experience. I think the conversation started because someone was like, they just treat you like shit. But I'm like, they're honest and authentic about what they are. They are, if you want to get from point A to point B for the cheapest, like the least amount of money and you don't care about anything else. And they're just relentless, maybe to a fault with some of the stuff they've done recently about delivering on that. But I think that you know, there really is no separation or distinction in the customer's mind between brand and product. And a lot of this is where I think a lot of big businesses get it wrong is like marketing and product or whatever you want to call it in a big company ends up getting siloed. And there's that disconnect between what the experience is for the person and what the brand says externally. And I think that's, as you were talking, I'm like, oh, this makes a lot more sense. Like the spontaneity, the diversity, the excitement of the experience in the club. I noticed you didn't call it a gym, the club. Um, you know, clearly you're delivering on that. 
in the marketing as well and how the brand comes to life. Yeah, and I, and I think it's a really interesting point. The, the Ryanair example is great because I think ultimately, no, no matter what you say about Ryanair, people come back again and again and again. You know, they, they may remember the experience isn't what they would expect, but you know, you get what you pay for a little bit. And I think the the social humor in particular, kind of, you know, it, it, even to the point where they they mock their own customers, people just smile and go, "That's Ryanair, right?" Um, now that works for Ryanair. I think for for our brand, it's it's very different. We're a premium, a premium brand, and wouldn't kind of go down that route. But there needs to be a a, a kind of a brand truth. Like, what is your product, and and how do you then how do you talk about your product, and how do you amplify that? And I think our kind of brand DNA. You know, we are a challenger brand. Our classes challenge the the, the industry in terms of you know what people would refer to as boring gyms. And we feel like we are the antidote to boring gyms, essentially. Um, and and that resonates through our, our product in the gym. Like we've got really shit hot products uh, in terms of the equipment, but our classes and instructors are, are second to none. So um, you do really need to live your brand through your product as well. And it's, it's, so, it's so important because our marketing is, is pretty to, to the nose. I think it's pretty you know, it captures your attention. And I think you need to make sure that translate as you walk in through the door. Great. So let's dive in. Let's talk about the marketing. And the place that I want to start is you talked about the campaign that you did with Surreal. We're obviously going to talk about the fake out of home campaign. Um, but you, and there's kind of like a class of brands that I think are able to do our uh, class of marketers. Um, you're able to kind of uh, like really punch above your weight in terms of the impact of your marketing compared to the investment, at least the financial investment. I know the creative investment, if we want to call it that, is very high. So I guess every marketer, every brand would want that, you know, and this veers into the conversations that we've all been in where everybody wants to quote unquote go viral. But how do you how do you think about doing more with less? Like what's the approach to kind of making this almost magic happen on a consistent basis? Um, you know what? A really good question. If I if I could articulate that well, I'd be I'll be doing really well, and I'd probably be a very rich man. But um, you know, I'm I think it's born out of necessity to a degree. And what, and what I mean by that is we have very small budgets compared to some of these big brands who who are out there. So you've got to work a little smarter, a little a little bit harder to to kind of do that. So I think firstly, you mentioned creative. We're we're a very the Gymbox brand in its DNA is, is you know, its tone of voice is cheeky, irreverent, and that allows you to do things that are somewhat different in, in, in the space. But that tone of voice, you know, it isn't built overnight. You've got to do that consistently for years and years and years. And then that gives you the opportunity to, to do things somewhat differently. Um, I think where we, we differ and where we kind of constantly surprise people is through that particularly through the media and how we how we use media. Um, historically, we would have kind of used traditional out-of-home adverts and, you know, lo- local kind of posters and proximity marketing. The world now, through social media and digital, it's tricky because you, you've got to decide where to spend your m- money. But we see it as an opportunity to kind of get our, our, our audience to, to almost get a slightly bigger reach from our marketing so you know we look at taking kind of strategic out of home advertising 
you know, we actually then think about how do you amplify that on social? How do you kind of get your influencers, your content creators to come down to capture that and to amplify it? But you need a really good creative line or creative hook for people to want to share that. Um, and, and I think we've always tried to surprise people. So I constantly get messages in my my LinkedIn and in my WhatsApp groups where people send me a, you know, a chalk stencil we've done in the middle of the road or in a park somewhere and they're kind of going, oh, wow, Rory, like, how did you get away with that? And, you know, my, my answer always is, you know, we, we ask for forgiveness, not permission. We just do things. And, and we, we, we've always just said, you know what, let's just do it. If we get in trouble, we get in trouble, but let's get ourselves out there, get ourselves talked about because there's nothing worse than being beige and just doing what everybody else is doing. So what we, we've tried to do with our advertising is um, to surprise people and, and, and to, for Jimbox to come up in places that they may not expect to see it. And that creates the talkability. And, 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 but, but it all does hinge back on the creative idea and something that actually works within that media space. Uh, and I think that's been the key with people then wanting to talk about Jimbox constantly. I really like that idea and that provocation of surprise. Because actually, I can't think of many marketing conversations or briefs that had that word in it or had that goal in it. Breakthrough, viral, disruptive, sure. But surprise, I think, is a slightly different thing, which is really interesting. And I'm, I'm certainly going to take that away and think about it. Um, and, and also, you know, the legal aspect of this, I know that we touched on it briefly. And, you know, you kind of said, you know, let's, let's, be, let's be provocative. That is something that I think challenger brands and businesses, and a lot of this depends on the CEO and the founder and all that stuff, not just the marketing team, but it is an advantage because if you are at scale, you're more focused on protecting what you have and avoiding risk, particularly for certain industries over others, rather than viewing risk as an opportunity to get more attention and then grow. So I think that that's interesting. Um, but I got I have a quote down here from our prep call, which I really love, where you said, we focus on creating campaigns and not spending money. And there is something to the constraints drive creativity um, element of this. But I actually think that, you know, because I, I think about the fake out of home thing, you know, pure gym, I don't know who you would consider a competitor, obviously not the exact same product, but they probably would have just gone and bought, you know, bus ads. But because you didn't have or didn't want to spend the six, seven figures on the campaign, it kind of forced, or I would assume it forced the team to think a little bit differently about what you actually do. So whether they're real or artificial, those constraints, even just a provocation for the internal team and the agency, I think is a really interesting lever for CMOs to pull. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, Two points came to mind when you mentioned that. I think one is the the internal structure. So I think, you know, we we do have a very lean team um, and a great CEO who encourages kind of disruptive thinking and to do things differently. And that does help because I do think um, other competitors who are bigger may have, you know, more red tape. You may not be able to have an idea in the morning that you want to get out that evening. And that does happen a lot at Gymbox. You know, we're very topical and reactive to events in the industry. But also, you know, touching back on the, 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 you know, the fake out of home advert we did. Um, funnily enough, the idea came internally um, and we did investigate, actually, it was around our aerial classes. So we had this idea, I'll talk you through the idea first and then I'll talk you through the, 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 
the, the, the fallout uh, as such. So it was an idea that came up. We have aerial classes where, you know, you hang from a trapeze or a ring or a hoop. And the idea came about, actually, if you were to, you know, put an advert on a bus, the place you would want to put it is on, on the roof because people would then be looking down on it. That was the whole idea. And then, again, it goes back to this creative idea. The creative line has to be good. I think then when we investigated the option to do the bus advert, it didn't exist. So we looked at the, we looked at the option and go, okay, we could we could lose that creative idea and put it to our creative graveyard. Or actually we could, you know, there's a bit of a trend for fake out-of-home advert. And we told, you know what, it's such a great idea. Let's kind of mock it up. We'll put it together and we'll just seed it out there and just, you know, just see what happens. We, you know, it was a bit small idea for our social and we received so much positive PR in terms of being, you know, innovative, slightly different, great use of media space. That was three or four days of just fantastic PR. And then somebody said, hold on a second, I've seen this image before, it's been used for X or used for Y. And then there was the, the counter argument from the, the, the media outlets in particular saying, hold on, this advert isn't, isn't real. Uh, that in itself created talkability. And, and I must admit, I kind of sat back for, you know, a couple of days and just watched, you know, with my, my popcorn and, and just watched the, the chatter on both sides of the, the argument. And, you know, you, you've had Maybelline uh, who, who did the tube advert in, in London again. For any of your, your listeners that may not be in London, it was, it was a great CGI-focused ad, which I'm sure people have seen. Um, Adidas and Nike have done some stuff in the back of the World Cup with, with Messi and, and CGI. And there's a little bit of a trend for it. Now, ours was not CGI. Ours was made by some great people. We got a great copywriter. We got a great designer. It was a, dare I say, a human fake advert as opposed to any sort of CGI. But but I think we we were happy in in our in our approach that this was a fun exciting bit of content and that became content in itself. Whereas if we had done this advert and it wasn't fake, we would not have got half the the, the PR from it. So it cost us probably two hundred and fifty pounds, and we got you know I, I I can't even put a number on the amount of expo amount of exposure we received and it. it was phenomenal, really really great. And can I just ask, to the extent that you can share, has that also led to, you know, new signups or whatever the metrics are that you track from a business and commercial perspective as well? Because, you know, I, I don't, well, I've been in this industry for a long time. I didn't study marketing. I didn't start in marketing. Sometimes I feel like a bit of an outsider and why I actually really didn't like the advertising agency world, even though I spent 10 years in it was I felt like a lot of a lot of what got talked about was what I would call advertising for the sake of advertising. It was advertising that marketers thought was cool, but didn't actually, or at least nobody focused on, well, what is it actually doing for the business? And so I'm not saying this is that, but I am saying marketers think this campaign is really cool. Is it also driving the business results that you want marketing to do? It's a really good question. And it's, it's always a difficult one to measure. Look, we can look at how many how many um, bits of exposure we've had, what press we've had, but how do you correlate that then into into sales, right? I, I think all we can say on this particular one is we have, you know, eight categories within our business, aerial being one, combat, another holistic yoga, hit, et cetera. Aerial has always been a tricky one for us to promote. And I think what this did is it put aerial you know, high on, on our communication for a new audience. 
And I think actually what we did see was an increased level of bookings on the back of that for a sustained amount of time. Now, can you put that back to the campaign? I'd like to say yes. Uh, there are other factors in terms of, you know, it, what that could have been. But I do believe and I have seen the bookings go up on it. Now, how, how much of that would have happened without the campaign? Maybe some. We've been pushing Ariel as well. But what this did, it gave it a shot in the arm. And it got us out there and it got people talking, which, which was great. And, people, and, and the shareability of the campaign as well amongst Ariel users was high. Okay, cool. Yeah, and look, for 250 bucks or whatever it was, it's like, you know, the threshold for what constitutes a positive return is going to be very low. I do want to ask one thing, and this this is kind of what came up and stirred some controversy controversy in the AMP group. Um, so there's kind of the, you know, fake out of home. And I don't, I don't think, pe I think people like are getting over that. I think it's really interesting if you're an out of home kind of media agency, but apart from that, that's fine. But, um, and let me know if I'm getting this right. Did you see the campaign as something that was real and only then people figured out it was fake? Cause I think that's the piece that's a little bit different is is that a little bit dishonest if you're saying it's a real thing as opposed to some of the other fake out of home where everybody's just up front of like, hey, this is fake, but we think it's cool. Yeah, and you know what? That was the bit that I think riled up particularly the media owners. And, that, and you're, you're in a bit of an echo chamber on LinkedIn and people are talking to each other. And, and I do and I do take that challenge on board. I think what we, what we did was exactly that. We put it out there and let people guess, is this real or is this not? Um, you know, there, there's there's an element of of the media the media outlets um, and the media owners ch the challenge back to me from, from these guys and I'm, I'm I'm I love an open conversation. Their view was, you know, you duped us. We 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 we've kind of shared this, but in the in the belief that it was real. And I think um, you know my my response back to that is, look, I get that we're we're a challenger brand with not a lot of money. You know we. Can compete with Nikes, Maybellines, these guys with huge budgets who can who can kind of let this seed out into social and let other people share it. We don't have that brand awareness, so we've got we've got to find more strategic, clever ways to get the message out there. Um, you know, is is it a bit of a learning for us going forward on on honesty, perhaps, perhaps? Um, but but I do think the the as a challenger brand, you've got to find clever kind of in innovative ways to try and kind of get your message out there so i think you've got to you've got to take some risks you've got to take some risks and you've got to do things a little bit differently got to push the envelope for sure you got it you got it you got it look it's all it, it you know marketing moves fast this you know this trend is 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 you know may, may be here for a while it may not and we're learning as we go we're learning as we go so i want to talk about the internal dynamics and structure that allow you to do all these things. So you talked a little bit about kind of the, the team that you have within marketing, but I guess around you, right? Um, you said in our prep call that you have a CEO who, quote, lets you get on with it, which I love. And I think any marketer listening is like, how do I, how do I get that? How do I get a CEO, a CFO, a board that kind of gives me the autonomy to do interesting, potentially risky, push the envelope types of things? Because um, I think that that's what limits a lot of creativity and opportunity for brands to grow is not necessarily the marketing team not being able to come up with something, you know, effective, but the business around them, particularly with incumbents, you know, not allowing it to go out. So how has that worked for you at 
Jim Box? Like, how have you cultivated that relationship with the CEO? And what does it look like? Do you, like, do you even have to run stuff past him? Is there an approval process? Uh, how do you, how does he just let you get on with it? Um, I hope he doesn't watch this one there when, when, when you say it like that, because he'll have no way. Um, no, no, I think um, it's an ongoing process. So I've been at Gymbox, you know, five years. The first six to eight months were pretty challenging because, you know, you come in from a, an, a brand, you know, I worked for Paddy Power, Everyman Cinema. And I feel like I, I knew, you know, I know how to, how to run a challenger brand. I know how to do things. I've done marketing for quite a while. You then come in fresh with new ideas and you you almost have to take a step back. You've got to learn from other people. You've got to understand the gym audience. It's very different than, you know, uh, cinema goers or, or um, you know, sport betting. And so the first kind of year or so was a bit of a challenge with really getting underneath the skin of the brand. And both our CEO and founder, who is heavily involved in the business still, really love marketing and the brand has been built on, on marketing and, and brands. So they're very hands-on individuals. So that trust takes a long time to build. Um, and, and you make a few mistakes along the way. You know, there would have, be, would have been in the early days some some work or campaigns that I, I brought to the guys and pitched that when I look back at it, wasn't right for the brand and it got rightly kind of rejected into, you know, the creative graveyard you know for every idea we get out we probably got about 10 to 12 that you know end up in this kind of creative graveyard so it takes a long time I think as you as you grow as a business and 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 you know I have to bring in you mentioned a team I've got a small team of three you know full-time people in-house and I've built a number of freelancers and agencies experts in PPC or paid media uh, a PR agency, a great copywriter who I worked freelance with. And I think the CEO then sees the, the team that you build around you and he has trust in the output of the work that you're doing week in, week out. So I think that's taken a long time to kind of to build that trust. But I think to answer your other question around can you can you just get work done and signed off? It works in two ways. I think either one, I bring them an idea and we sit and we we procrastinate over the idea for hours and we think, you know, will the audience buy into this? Is this crazy? Uh, because we have some crazy ideas. And there are some where we sit, you know, we we, we sometimes get out, of the, get out of the office, go to the pub, have a few beers, and we brainstorm ideas. Um, and there are other times where I may have an idea at 9 a.m. and he's unavailable he may be working and he'll just trust me to get that out on social because we it's taken it's taken years and years and years to develop that Rory gets the brand he knows our audience um but it's not an easy thing to do it's not an easy thing to do and, and I think you know a lot of CM, CMOs and CEOs have different relationships but I think on a, as a small brand you have to have trust in in somebody who's going to you know allow let, let, let somebody pull the trigger and you know, live, live or die from those consequences. Yeah, I think, I think a couple things that I'd draw out from what you said that really resonate and are interesting to me is one, you know, I used to have a boss who said, you know, you can't sell to somebody who doesn't want to be sold to. Like you can't change everybody, right? And I think a lot of people listening can probably relate to that in terms of banging their head against a wall to get stuff approved and it's just not going to happen. But the opposite is also true. Whereas you have CEOs and organizations that are just into this from like who they are and how they're wired and how they think. 
And I'll say, you know, as an anecdote, the last CMO role that I had before starting Rival, that was a big part of my decision-making process was spending time with the CEO and seeing how much he was bought into being brand-led and doing disruptive things. And I knew that I would have that partner, like it sounds like you do. So I think that's one. Um, and two, that it takes time. You know, like you probably didn't walk in day one and were able to do this stuff. Like you've cultivated that relationship over time. Um, and the last thing that I think is really interesting is I really think that even if you have the most numbers, spreadsheet, or engineer, like if you have the least creative marketing CEO out there, I feel like everybody gets a little bit excited about, hey, let's brainstorm this together. Let's go have a beer and talk about what crazy shit we could do. I think there's something to kind of bringing them into the process maybe that depending on the person could help with that longer term journey of building the trust and kind of creating that autonomy that everybody wants. Yeah. And I think, you know what, you're right. I think you've hit the nail on the head there with bringing someone on a journey. I think what I've learned over, over years is if you come to somebody at the end of that journey and, and pitch them the idea and you've worked it up with your, your agencies or your freelance team or your marketing team, there's an element where a CEO may say, mm, "We're, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure about that." But if you if you go, if you bring somebody on that journey early, you're gonna you're gonna be tweaking, refining together as you go on, and you get to that end result as as a team. I think I think is how you, you know, get things out the door, to put it a better way. Um, but 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 the other piece, you know, as a as a brand, and you know, we we. To have that culture throughout the business, so I have it with my CEO, but we have it across the business with my team members. And, you know, I've got to go on holiday occasionally and it's a lean team and we still have to get stuff out. And I think one of the things we were very keen to do as, as a team, myself and um, Mark, my CEO, was to, as we scale the business up, you know, the, the business is, you know, we don't have brand guidelines, you know, in, in the way that big companies have brand guidelines we've got to look and feel and a design but we wanted kind of internal brand values what we stand for and they kind of existed in a, in a in a weird way kind of you know floating around but we needed to get them down on paper and what we did as a team was we brought everyone from the business from the, the top level to the bottom level so from the ceo all the way down to the receptionist and even our cleaning teams and we got everyone around a table over a couple of weeks and we worked out our our, our brand values and, and we came up with five brand values, which have essentially steered the business in terms of every, everything we do from our marketing to the products we put in and the classes we develop. And I think that has allowed us, as I say, to get things out the door quickly because we know what we stand for and we have a, a sounding board for our marketing with, when we come up with a campaign. Does it hit these brand values? Does it have a giggle? Does it make people smile? Does it sweat the details? Does it, you know, not offend people? Don't be a dick. You know, these are some of our brand values. And that has helped with the decision-making process internally. And it's brought the rest of the team on that journey to be able to kind of make sure we're consistent with our, with our brand and our marketing, but also just from a decision-making point of view, just to get things done quickly. We have that really great sounding board. So for the last chapter of our conversation, it's actually the one I'm most excited to get your perspective on. I guess the way that I would open it up is I think about this terminology or this dynamic between being idea-led and data-driven. And I think 
you know, good marketing, good marketing teams, good marketing organizations are, of course, a blend of both, right? Is it the creative or is it the quant? Is it the art? Is it the science? It's both, of course, at the end of the day. But I think most marketers and most organizations tend to be a little bit or a lot bit more one or more the other. You strike me as someone who's maybe a little bit more idea-led, not that I'm sure you, you know, go through the numbers and that has a part of your process as well, but one, let me know if that's fair. But I guess the other part of this is like, you've had a lot of wins, you know, interesting stuff. People talk about like clearly it's having an impact on growing the business. You mentioned you've had a lot of ideas that you've thrown away as well, but how do you, like, is it just your instinct? Like you've done this for a while. You really understand the brand. You really understand the customer and this creative process in your head and the team, like you're just able to feel it and to know what you should do. Like, how do you know what you should be doing with this type of thing because often it's not something where you can know for sure that it's going to work. Yeah, look, I, you know, I think to, to answer your first question, I am absolutely more idea led than data. Um, look, I, I look at data. We, you know, I look at Google Trends and you know what worked for us in terms of search terms. I look at you know um, brand surveys. We do, uh, we 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 do you know research with our members. So look, there is data there. Um, sure. I ignore a lot of it. <laughs> uh, That's kind of my point, right? It's like, because are there in like alternative universes, like 99 other Rory McKenties that just suck at marketing because they ignore the data and they don't have the instinct for it? Like, where does that come from? You know what? A lot of it comes from, look, first and foremost, yes, I work in marketing, but I am a, I'm a Gymbox member. You know, I'm, I'm in the gym every day. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the front line, put it that way. I'm seeing what our members see. I'm seeing what, you know, our potential members are seeing from, you know, in the area. So I'm kind of in that world, firstly. So I think that does help. You know, I'm not sitting in, in you know, in my home every day. I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the gym five days a week. You know, I'm in there in the morning. I'm in there at lunchtime. I'm in there in the evenings. The office is tagged onto the gym. So I'm in there. Um, so that's the first thing. I think... Um, you know, you get a feel from that. You know, I talk to people, not, you know, not about marketing, but just, you know, how, did you enjoy that class? You know, not, not from a research point of view, but just on a human level. And, and you get a real good feeling from people on that. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it, it's interesting. Like when you talk about data, we, we ask, you know, our members questions and we ask, what do you think about this campaign, these classes? And, you know, I love the Henry Ford quote back in the day. You know, if you, if you ask people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. And, there's an element to that at Gymbox and with, with data, if, you know, we were, you know, putting, you know, t removing treadmills from the gym and people said, you're mad. People want to run. We no, fitness is changing. And, you know, we have bands that play in our ring and DJs in our club and we do member parties. And it's because I'm, I'm, I'm in London. I see what's going on. People want experiences. People want that social chatter. Um, and, and even when we run our campaigns, you know, I, yeah, we can do consumer research, but you look at a campaign and you just know, you just know that that's going to hit home. That's a home run. It's the art, right? Yeah, it's it's the art. You can put as much science behind it as you want and you can do consumer research and you can ask every Tom, Dick and Harry. But when you're in, when you're in it and you see work, you go, that's great fucking work. That's going to, that's going to land. And you can't explain it. It's just, it's just a feeling. It's just a feeling. And, and there's an element of risk with that because you're you're putting it all on your decision and you know will this campaign work will it drive the membership and the sales we needed to do um 
but so far I, I, I've been I've been lucky. Look, we've we've had failures. We've we've done stuff. We've done stuff that hasn't quite landed, uh, and that's been gut feel. You know, we've done classes in over the years that people have felt have been greenwashing, or we've done campaigns that have you know we we never try and be offensive. We want to be disruptive, not offensive. You can't keep everybody happy, right? You you know you're 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 gonna you're gonna you're gonna annoy some people if you are a challenger brand. There's nothing worse than being beige. But my if I feel it in my bones and I feel comfortable in that decision, we're gonna pull the trigger and we're gonna do it. You mentioned it a bit already with the Henry Ford. If you asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. But to put it another way, as you said in our prep call, and I jotted down this quote: "The customer is wrong most of the time." I think that is a perfect place to leave it. But before I let you go, I want to do a quick lightning round, just kind of quick fire answers on a few different questions. So what was the first marketing job you ever had? First marketing job, I used to be on the agency side working for Heineken and their rugby, which was great. Lots of free beer. Nice. What's the best piece of career advice you've ever received? Ask for forgiveness, not permission. 100%. Title of your autobiography. What's the best brand campaign you've seen recently? Uh, love my friend at Gymshark's work with the um, modest billboard they've done, um, the hijab and the influencer stuff. It's just phenomenal. Um, if you haven't seen it, Google it. It's um, an influencer they've worked with, with graffiti and, and, a, and a real hijab. It's fantastic. I have not seen that. So um, it'd be great if we could pull that up and definitely include it in the show notes. What is a marketing tool you can't live without? This is going to be really, really boring for a lot of your listeners, but Google Sheets, Google Word Docs, I have saved so much time over the years when you just kind of go, are you out of the document yet? And I'm doing a save as file version 23 on a, on a presentation. Um, I just think it, it saved me so much time. I remember those days. Oh. What is one thing people should do differently after listening to this episode? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, my advice for anybody who, who's in marketing and just do things that you would not normally do. They may scare you. They may not work. Nine out of 10 may fail, but you might just hit on something that is that little kind of golden nugget. Amazing. Rory, thanks so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Scratch is a production of Rival. We are a marketing innovation consultancy that helps businesses develop strategies and capabilities to grow faster. If you want to learn more about us, check out wearerival.com. If you want to connect with me, email me at eric at wearerival.com or find me on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, share with anyone you think might enjoy it, and please do leave us a review. Thanks for listening and see you next week.